Blog Talk Radio.
The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Joining us now, Matthew Embry from WSBT in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, we are it. We are down to the wire. It is time to decide who's going to be the champion of IndyCar. Let's get into that conversation here in just a moment. But here in Indianapolis, it is Brickyard Weekend, and the last playoff uh, spot, if you will, uh, for for those that are trying to get into the NASCAR uh, playoffs 
Uh, how are you, sir? What is with the intro change? Is this the happy birthday Matt Embry uh, intro? Is that what this is? <laughs> hey, happy birthday. Is, is it really your birthday? 37. 37 years, man. I'll tell you what, I'm at a half a century and I'm still kicking. Happy birthday to you, sir. So glad that you are able to take some time on your birthday uh, to, to join us. But uh, IndyCar, in, uh, I mean, not IndyCar, but NASCAR in, here in Indianapolis at the Brickyard. You know, we've seen a lot of changes with the Brickyard uh, over the years since this happened. I mean, obviously, uh, when it first started, it was, it was a premier event. And Jeff Gordon won the, the first event, but it's kind of went downhill. But I really think, I really, really do think with the new rule changes, Matthew, uh, that we're in for a good show. And then next year, Next year, it's on July 4th. I mean, I think that's an incredible day. Maybe yes, maybe no, but I think that NASCAR is starting to take the turn in the other direction uh, for the fans at uh, the Brickyard. Well, I'd hope they'd have some consistency with the date. I mean, changing it to the date's not going to be able to keep a fan base around. And obviously, taking the July 4th date away from Daytona for their Midsummer Classic, the Coke 0400, the Firecracker Corner, whatever you want to call it, I don't think was the greatest idea either. But one thing you do is start to bring the fans back in for this event because uh, it was uh, practically a ghost town. Now, granted, the weather had something to do with that last year, but still, uh, you got to draw more than just uh, 40,000, 50,000 fans for an event like this. You're going to keep it running. So, being able to get things going, get a consistent date, and start getting people to buy tickets, I'd say that's the biggest concern right now for NASCAR and the Speedway uh, if they want to continue to see the Brickyard uh, continue uh, moving along. Well, no, I absolutely believe, I understand what you're saying, and, and I think that that uh, IMS and NASCAR also realize that that's a very important venue to keep on their schedule. Uh, and they, they do a lot of really cool stuff like this past it started on Wednesday night, the USAC. And what I tell you what, I don't get a chance to get to a lot of dirt track races here, uh, too much anymore, but certainly uh, it is a, a race that I enjoy. Wednesday night was a one for the record books. I mean, really, it was. And then Thursday night out there, hanging out there in, in uh, turn three uh, was just – and the crowd was just – remarkable and i tell you what it wasn't just dirt track fans i could I, as i put on my post at speedwaydigest.com dirt to pavement I, you could see that there were fans there that were both nascar and dirt track and i think this marriage or this partnership with usac um although let me put my two cents in here usac will not let you bring in coolers just saying and want you to spend your money, which I spent my share of money there. I contributed to the cause, but I thought I think that's a great addition. We also saw that we see that with the Indy 500, with the music festival and the Snake Pit, and a lot of and, and the concerts and stuff. So I think that there's a lot of things that they're doing right. Uh, but when it comes to race day, I mean, I was out there yesterday for uh, Xfinity practice. So I was kind of disappointed in in, in the. Um, crowd maybe because it was a friday afternoon we'll see what happens today with the cup practice and then of course the race is is tomorrow but 
there's just a lot of things that are going on with the changes of NASCAR. We want to get into uh, Firestone Grand Prix of Mon- Monterey, which is happening next weekend. I mean, the weekend after, I'm sorry, uh, which is going to decide who our champion is going to be. We'll get into that in just a second. But when you look at NASCAR, here it is. I mean, last year, yeah, we had a weather issue, and, and, and they thought maybe the change. You're right. They need to come up with a consistent date. Um, this year, though, it's the final race for the points uh, playoffs uh, with NASCAR. We're going to get into more NASCAR talk here in the in the second half here uh, with um, Tony Donahue of the Tony D podcast. But when we look at the the points, it being a points race and the last race to get into the playoffs, it makes uh, Indianapolis a lot more appealing this year. Well, maybe then last year. Well, obviously, that's uh, the concern, obviously, in trying to create some value for the event, obviously, is helps. But uh, the thing that's odd about this, I remember I attended this race, I believe, is the year that Jeff Gordon won the fifth time. I don't remember what year that was. If you could help me on that. And I remember. Uh, I, I... Go ahead. I remember that on that the situation being. About six years ago. Yeah, I think it was the first time Ty Dillon is the day before Ty Dillon won the Xfinity Series event, I believe, right or something like that. Uh, but the thing is, though, I keep watching the cars go through, and the drafting effects that you would see on an Indy car, it just doesn't seem to work with these NASCARs on the this big super speedway for some reason. It's like uh, there's just a dirty air packet or pocket, and it just forms, and you just can't break it. I mean, it's and they've tried to get them where the cars will draft, and it just seems like for some reason this current car uh, just doesn't seem to be able to suck up nearly as well as, you know, the early 90s car when they went to the car tomorrow, the, the car tomorrow at that point in 2010 with all the tire fares in that, that. This type of car just doesn't seem to handle the draft nearly as well as some of the cars in the past, and I think that's what makes it so difficult to overtake. Uh, especially after a restart, like five laps into a run, and then guys get like they go stuck and they hit a brick wall. So that's something I think NASCAR needs to figure out because that's the thing that's really holding back and making this race uh, almost, you know, like a snore fest uh, for a majority of the event because guys just can't get close enough to be able to make overtakes on guys because of the aerodynamics of the car. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in the flat surface that is provided with by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, certainly that's uh, that plays a part of it. But but it's Indianapolis, and it's Indianapolis. And we can't say anything other than that. It's Indianapolis, and they'll figure out a way to make it work. Because I, I would say this is uh, right up there with Daytona. It'll never go away from the NASCAR schedule now that it's here. Now we, they just have to figure out how to get butts in the seat. And talking about that that relationship between IndyCar and NASCAR, how cool is it to see uh, going into next year? Uh, we and I talked with uh, Steve Wilson Wilson quite a bit about that, and I think I may even go out there to to Richmond next year for that race. But how cool is it to see IndyCar back at Richmond uh, on on that on that track as well, which is very very similar, maybe a little bit different as far as size wise very similar in as far as uh, the way that it's configured uh, compared to Indianapolis. My biggest concern now that because the last time we were there, we were still running normally aspirated engines. Now that we're running the turbos again, 
I'm just scared that this track's going to be is that the new car is just too fast for this type of oval. Too fast, yeah. And it's going to catch these two guys out. I mean, it's a three quarter mile oval. We don't need guys running. Um, I mean, it reminds me of when I saw the tapes on YouTube in 2011 when Bristol Motor Speedway brought in those uh, extreme super sprints. They were running like 150 miles an hour lap times at that little track, and it was very tight racing. I can only imagine you have cars running 160, 170, 180 lap times uh, here at Richmond, and uh, that the reaction time is going to be tough. I mean, it'll be very interesting, especially with the way these guys drive aggressively on these ovals. Uh, it's a scary proposition. So hopefully I'm wrong on that, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens at that event for sure. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor uh, from WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, let's get into the IndyCar talk. Let's Laguna. And here we go. It's time to decide. we got Will Power, uh, Alexander Rossi, Colton Herta. By the way, Colton Herta, number four, Joseph Newgard, Spencer Piggott. You know, and again, we, we always like to talk about, like, so for example, like Simon Panajan is in seventh. I don't think that, that he has a shot in, in, in you know where to, to get the championship. But when, we, when he was here in Indianapolis, and we, I know he had that slump afterwards, but we thought that maybe it could happen, but it's, it's not going to happen. And we still thought that maybe Joseph Newgarden could put it together, and maybe he can. But this kind of looks like a year for Alexander Rossi. Well, he's the guy that just seems like it's destined to win it. I mean, people have kind of gotten on the Rossi bandwagon because a lot of people think that he got screwed out of an Indy 500 win by a couple things that happened. You know, the fuel connector that didn't go in, uh, about getting pinched in the wall a couple times, Royal Servia, the block on the last lap by Simon Pagino that many people thought should have been a penalty. Uh, So I think a lot of people have joined him, and now he's – I'd say if they had a most popular driver thing, people say Hinchcliffe's getting the popularity, but I would say if they had a most popular driver award for the end of the year, I'm pretty sure Alexander Rossi, whether he wins the championship or not, would get it. I couldn't agree with you more, and, and certainly James Hinchcliffe has been the ambassador of IndyCar, uh, but but we'll see what, see what happens. But what, let's talk about Joseph Newgarden and his story. Just a few weeks ago, we were ready to crown him the, 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 the prince and ready to go, but it doesn't look like that's even going to happen this year. He still is in control of his own destiny, but uh, very, very curious to see how he handles the new venue. Now, granted, he won at St. Louis when they came back there a couple years ago, but uh just seems like with new venues that he has – a little bit more time that he has to get used to him. And that's where I think he could be vulnerable to a guy like Rossi uh, coming up at the Laguna Seca. You know, we've been talking about it all year long in the rookie of the year. I, I got to still, and I was on this fan. I'm, this, I'm not just jumping on this fan wagon. You know this, uh, Matthew, but I still look at Colton Herta as one of our, our, the rookie of the year. He's number four right now going into Laguna. I, just, I still think, though, if you go by consistency and what I've seen this year, now, granted, he came in with a bad rap, but I think that's the one thing that may hurt him as far as the votes. But I, if you go by consistency in the full resume and not just one event, yes, Colton heard of one at Circle of the Americas, but if you look at the whole package, I'd say right now you have to give either the Rookie of the Year to either Santino Ferrucci or Marcus Erickson. I think those two guys have had the complete uh, resumes as opposed to Herta, who's been a little bit hit and miss. 
Obviously, you know, the 33rd place fish he had at Indianapolis hurts his cause. But uh, you look at the scenarios right now, I think the consistency is there with Barucci. And I would say based on that, uh, if I was a voter on that for that Rookie of the Year award, I'd probably put down Barucci's name up before I put down Colton Hurtis. See, I, I, I like I like where you're going with that, but I still think that 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 you have to put him in number three because you got to look at Felix uh, with with Chip Canassi, and he, and he was on the pole at the Grand Prix here in Indianapolis, and he's he's second in points right now. You got to look at Felix Rokovest with Chip Canassi rest, rest, uh, racing as the number two spot, and, and I'll agree with you on what you're saying, but he. He's, he's certainly not the number one or number two. He's the number three. Well, with Rosenquist as well, remember, he struggled just to qualify to Indianapolis for the 500. So that's the thing right there where I have some question marks. Again, he's been a little bit too much hit or miss for me. And, uh, again, it's the full resume. It's not just one event or one thing that stands out. It's the full resume, I think, that makes the difference. And if you look at that resume situation, uh, I'm more inclined to possibly look at Ferrucci and Erickson as opposed to Rosenquist and Curta and not say that they've had bad years, but you look at the full resume, and I'd say right now, if you're looking at the full resume, the full picture, I think those are the two guys, the guy for Dale Coyne, Santino Ferrucci, and the guy for Arrow SPM, obviously soon to become uh, Arrow McLaren SPM uh, and Marcus Erickson. Well, yeah, you're at you. You make a very good argument, that's for sure. But when we look at the full resume, then then why are we why are we just talking about how he qualified with the Indianapolis 500? If we're looking at the full picture and the full resume, I mean, why is the Indianapolis 500 any different than any other track? Well, that's the big event. That's the big nest of eggs, and that's what people remember for the season. I think I don't think people are going to remember looking down the road that Colton Herta won an IndyCar race at uh, Austin. They're going to be looking at the fact Simon Pagino won the Indy 500, and whoever wins the championship, whether it's Newgarden or Rossi, I think they're going to be looking at that more uh, than, you know, an event at Austin. Now, granted, it doesn't say Austin's not a big event, but the, the fact of the matter is, from the outside world, there are two things that mean something right now in the IndyCar at this point. That's winning the championship and winning the Indy 500. And, I mean, I don't like it any better than you do, but that's right now what the main average fan is looking at as far as, you know, who is the best drivers in the circuit right now. And that's until, you know, the popularity of that changes, which obviously I hope it does, but those are going to be the two things that, you know, the casual fan are going to look at, who won the championship and who won Indy. I think that's the focus, and that's going to be the focus for, I'd say, the next several years. Well, we'll certainly see how it all pans out for Rookie of the Year. But how about our boy Connor Daly, who's been on audition all year long. And we, we have said that he's not been very consistent. He's been this, he's been that. And certainly a hometown boy from Noblesville, Indiana. I know Connor. He's a great guy. Certainly his dad has been around racing for a long, long time. Unfortunate story with what happened with him. But that's a different show for a different time. But Connor Daly's year-long audition is, uh, is finally starting to pay off for him. Which, by the way, yeah, it was good to see him. On, I apologize. It was good to see him on Thursday night out there at the dirt track as well. But Connor Daly, I mean, let's let's talk about him. I mean, certainly we're not talking about him in any type of championship role, but we are talking about him finally. 
achieving uh, the the full time ride. Is he ready? The thing that I like that I've seen from Connor Daly, and not many people have mentioned this, is he's toned his da- character down a little bit. He's now not about you know being this wild man, crazy guy that he tries to mimic. He's trying now to be a serious driver. I think teams are starting to pay attention. I think Andretti Autosport, and you saw that when he ran in the top five, laying the Indy 500. Now, granted, he faded to 11th at the finish, but I think you are starting to see a change in Connor Daly that he is now not this, you know, carefree soul that, oh, I don't care about what I do. I, I, I just want the ride. He's now saying, look, if I want to be in the series full-time, I don't need just to act the part. I've got to play the part. And I think you saw all that at the Indy 500 when he was very strong and qualified in the race. And I think you also saw that when you were talking about big opportunities. You know, unfortunately, the first lap accident portal, I think, hurt him a chance to show himself. He did very well in, with a very below-average Carlin car. And, you know, the scenarios are there. I just hope he finds a competitive ride. I'd hate to see him, you know, get stuck with a team like a 14 that's in disarray now that ABC Supply has pulled back their sponsorship. Uh, I wouldn't want to see him on a team like Carlin where, you know, they're trending downward again. Uh, I think right now the question is right now, if Hotter Daly does get a ride, hopefully is a competitive one where he's not barred at the back of the pack and then, you know, goes back to these habits to try to make attention for himself, which – Honestly, I think these attention things, while I understand why he's doing it, I think in the long run it hurts him in terms of being able to find rides. You know, I blame a lot of this uh, uh, carefree uh, spirit, if you will, with Connor Daly on on the media. I I don't think the Connor Daly and Alexander Rossi, uh, and I, I get promoting the sport, I get, I understand why they did it, but putting them in the amazing race. And I just felt like that that took so much time away from Connor Daly to get situated. Alexander Rossi. Okay. We'll give him that because he was an Indy 500 champion, but to pair him up with Connor Daly, I don't know if that was the best decision. Yeah. It's, uh, it shined obviously Alexander as the smart one and Connor Daly, as you know, the not so good one. And I think that really hurt uh, the image for Connor and I think he's still recovering from that. I mean, it's a shame, but that's how you see it from a situation like that. And certainly uh, it hasn't helped to him. And I think he's still, even to this day, is trying to, you know, escape from that uh, stereotype that was created when he made an appearance on that reality show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's just uh, kind of get on down through some things here. I mean, we've got Laguna next week. Uh, talk with us about, I mean, the week after, I keep saying next week. I don't know why I'm trying to rush this month along. Uh, but maybe I'm trying to get to my birthday, which is in October. Uh, but uh, uh, the week after next, I'm sorry, we're, we're at Laguna Championship Weekend. Uh, let's talk about that track. I mean, this is the, a kind of a, a new venue for the championship. Uh, but let's let's uh, let's talk about Laguna and what's at stake here. We only got a few more minutes here, but we certainly want to unpack and get ready for Championship Week uh, the week after next. Well, obviously, it's great to be back at Laguna. Obviously, returning the course group probably one of the toughest, if not the uh, gnarliest uh, corners in all of uh, road racing. But uh, I think this is a track where aggression is going to pay off. And you think of aggression, Alexander Rossi's name obviously comes to the head of the list. 
even though he's not the most popular man in the world after what happened at Pocado, a Takuma Sato's name comes into play. And uh, I'd be very curious, obviously, experience would play a role. So I think someone like a Scott Dixon or even a Tony Kanan could have a good run. So the question now is, is where does that leave Newgarden? I think Newgarden, uh, it depends on those first practice sessions. If he's competitive out of the box, I think he's got a chance to defend his title. But if he comes out a little bit flat, uh, I think he's vulnerable. Well, I'll tell you what, Laguna come, Laguna go, uh, holidays come, holidays go, let's get ready for St. Pete. I mean, that's just how quick uh, things go. But uh, we're now we're ready to start uh, college football. We're going to be in the second hour and be talking with Rick getting our official college football contributor about college football week one. But you look at Notre Dame uh, and the quarterback and uh, bloodying the nose of a cheerleader, that's a sidebar story. But it was Louisville. Come on. It was Louisville. I hate to, I'm not downsizing Louisville, but it was Louisville. You guys still have to beat Georgia. And honestly, honestly, how I watched Notre Dame play last week, I don't know that they got it in the tank to beat Georgia. If they don't beat Georgia, Notre Dame's not going to a bowl game. Not a major bowl game, put it that well, way. Well, uh, here's how I see it. If you attack Notre Dame for a poor performance against Louisville, you have to also attack Michigan for a poor performance against Bill Tennessee State. They only beat them by 18 points while Notre Dame beat Louisville by 19. So if you go by that scenario, uh, you also have to question uh, how good Michigan's going to be if you're going by a point spread. No, you're absolutely right. And, and that's one of the things we'll get into uh, in, in, in uh, hour number two. Real quickly, uh, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Give us your final words of wisdom and thoughts as we go into Brickyard this weekend. And the week after next is Laguna. And, of course, we got college football this weekend. I think, obviously, JGR is the team to beat. Uh, I agree with Tony Donahue, who's a, he was a sentiment. I know you have him on later, but I believe he had Denny Hamlin as his winner. Uh, I think Kyle, though, is the better chance of the two, if you look at those. And uh, maybe Martin Truex or Eric Jones gets involved. But uh, if it's someone other than the JGR quad, I would be very surprised uh, coming up on Sunday. Well, we'll absolutely see uh see what happens there uh matthew we appreciate you joining us worker and people find your work and your masterpieces sir m-a-t-t-e-m-b-u-r-y and don't forget 96.1 fm wsbt game one of the eastern division championship south bed cubs are in action best of three game one is tonight first pitch is at seven o'clock and uh we'll see uh, if south bed can get closer to possibly bringing home a title something they haven't done uh for baseball in several years well, thanks for joining us on your birthday. Happy birthday. Hope you have a great one. Thanks, Tom. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from WSBT up in South Bend. We get, as we're talking, uh, getting ready for uh, Laguna next the week. I don't know why I keep saying next week, the week after next. But I tell you what. NASCAR's in town. It's the Brickyard 400 uh, Xfinity race today. And to help us break it down, it's Tony Donahue from the Tony Tony D podcast coming up next right around the bend.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to The Balance. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up at South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor for jumping on board with us and talking some IndyCar. But we also talked a little bit about NASCAR, and that's what's going on here in our hometown uh, where, where The Balance is located, higher top The Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis, just about a 10-minute drive at best from 16th and Georgetown, where uh, the Brickyard and NASCAR and Dirt Track is all converging there and helping us breaking it down now is Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. How are you, sir? Pretty good, man. Good morning. How are you? Fantastic. Welcome aboard. Have you had it? Did you have a chance to go out there and check out the dirt track yet? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Wednesday and Thursday night, they had races out there. Wednesday was incredible. Wednesday, you pretty much had your qualifying races. Then they had what they call oh my god, a, a I know. Two race. Oh my god. Yeah, and they had, uh, um, you know, in that pursuit race, if you lose a spot, you're you're done. You're eliminated. So it's kind of like a. Uh, bracket type racing if you will if you lose the spot you gotta you gotta you gotta pull it into the infield so when it's all said and done there's about 15 to 20 cars sitting in the infield and then the last lap guys are flipping spinning and kyle larson the nascar veteran kept his foot of the throttle and uh, ended up winning that race and then the bc39 was pretty cool to see zeb wise who's 16 years old and was handpicked by brian clausen um to come and drive midgets and sprint cars and for him to win that 
for Claus and Marshall racing was, was, was something really cool and special to see. And obviously the team that was surrounded around Brian Clawson who passed away and the race was obviously named after him. He, uh, you know, to have those three cars finish one, two, and three was something that was uh, certainly something, something cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. And I, and I think this is in, in Doug Bowles and, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway have done a great job of, of merging different things together at, at different events. And of, of course, last night with Florida Georgia line, but uh, the bringing the dirt track to Indianapolis, I felt like was monumental, was history making. And, and I think a lot of people didn't really realize that it was anything more than just to try to get butts in the seats. After been hanging out there the last couple of days and seeing the crowd there and seeing that mixture between NASCAR and dirt track races, because we, we know that there's IndyCar fans, there's NASCAR fans, there's dirt track fans, but they're all a different cycle of fans. But to see them merge together, and you mentioned Kyle Larson, and, and a lot of, and it's not just Kyle Larson. I mean, we we talk about a lot of uh, drivers. I mean, Connor Daly was out there. There's a lot of drivers that have IndyCar and NASCAR. Uh, drivers that have that dirt track route so i thought it was very cool to 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 see and and if you've never been to a dirt track race i I, go go because it's not turning it's sliding and you you see more wrecks and more 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 wrecks in the aspect of course we know that brian clausen died so we don't want to encourage wrecks but you see more wrecks where there's nobody. I mean, we we, we see people uh, cars go on their on upside down. They flip, they roll, but the drivers are okay. So it's fun from that aspect, but it really is a lot of fun. And and you know, wh- what's better than having dirt splashed in your face while you're watching a race, right? Yeah, I mean, I think to your first point there, um, which is the fact that it's convenient because it's here and it's brickyard week and you're going to get some, some, some drivers that are in cup like Kyle Larson and Ricky Stenhouse jr. Out there running, um, you know, JJ Yaley, who was a staple in sprint cars for so long and has ran cup for so long was out there. Christopher Bell, who's an up and coming driver in the Xfinity series, Chase Briscoe, who's got a win in the Xfinity, Xfinity series. This, this, this takes all these drivers back to their roots and kind of where they started. And that was kind of all paved the way by Jeff Gordon you know, 20, 25 years ago when he was running sprint cars and then took the step to NASCAR. And the next guy was Tony Stewart, and they had so much success. Um, so it kind of brings these guys back to their roots, and it's right inside the infield of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So what a better place. There's no better place in the world to be racing. And, you know, it means a lot to these drivers. Every driver that, that you know, they talked to said it's so awesome to be inside the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the track itself is so racy. There were we saw four wide, and like you said, you're sliding around. But I mean, you can race all over that racetrack and uh, have a have a fast car. Oh, absolutely! It was a fun time. I really enjoyed it, and I, I'm so glad that, that they have brought that uh, uh, to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I was out there yesterday for the uh, 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 Xfinity practice. Let's let's break that race down as it happens today. And real quickly, let's get into tomorrow's race. You know, it, it's lost a lot of momentum but i think they're they're in the process and we were talking a little bit about this in the last segment that they got to have that consistent date but it's in the process i think i'm making a turn to the other direction which is good uh nascar needs to be at indianapolis just like nascar needs to be at daytona uh 
Indy 500 obviously has to be at Indianapolis, just like it has to be at other tracks. Really exciting to see IndyCar go over to Richmond uh, as well. But I, I uh, am looking forward to this weekend. I'm going to be headed out there right after the show. Of course, we've got cup practice and then the race this afternoon, and then I'll be out there tomorrow. Uh, but uh, give us a, a quick peek in because I know we got you for a limited amount of time uh, today. So we're going to go ahead and just turn it over to you. Uh, talk with us about uh, the practice qualifying today and practice today and qualifying and the cup race tomorrow. Well, I think first and foremost, it's just good that it looks like the weather is going to cooperate. I know there's a chance for scattered storms tomorrow, but, you know, a high of 74 today and a high of 74 tomorrow, I think the fans are going to get some relief. Now you're going to move it back to 4th of July next year, so you're not going to have that. And so what, what you're going to see today is the Xfinity race is very racy. You, you, you get caught in packs, and they've kind of slowed down the cars, but they brought them all together with this, with this package for the Xfinity series. So it should be very racy. We should see packs of cars. Um, you could obviously start with, with Joe Gibbs Racing, which was – they were fast yesterday. Christopher Bell, Brandon Jones, Kyle Busch, probably the three cars to beat. And I think you could say the same thing tomorrow for Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, Denny Hamlin it, it was my pick going into the weekend. I actually talked to him last night, and he wasn't sure how confident they were going to be, knowing that this is such a track position race. So if you don't qualify well or you have a bobble in qualifying, you go to the back or, you know – you lose spot. This is such a track position race that we're going to see a lot of gambling going on tomorrow as far as drivers taking two tires, drivers taking four, um, you know, who stays out, who doesn't stay out. Um, so we're going to see wh- what happens tomorrow. It should be interesting because you've got the drivers that are already locked in, as we know. Then you've got guys like Jimmy Johnson, who is on the outside looking in on must win, Paul Menard, William Byron, Ryan Newman. There's some, there's some big names and some good teams that are fighting for that final playoff spot. And with the playoffs starting after the Brickyard tomorrow, you're going to see a lot of drivers um, dicing for position, trying to move up, trying to, I guess, roll the dice and gamble a little bit um, as far as getting the track position, getting those stage points late in the runs for the stages tomorrow. And I think that if you're up front tomorrow and you qualify up front, it's so important with qualifying tomorrow and not being able to practice after qualifications before the race it's going to be important to qualify up front because it's a track position race and you got to get on and off pit road as quickly as possible because that's going to be the key um, to staying up front and keeping that track position. Well, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to, I mean, like I said, right after this show, I'm headed, uh, headed down there. Uh, but uh, so maybe I'll see you down there, but certainly uh, an exciting weekend. And I, I look forward to seeing from, from, from a, just from being a, a fan of NASCAR, I look forward to, uh, the race, but I hope that that NASCAR and IMS can figure this out to put more butts in the seat. Yeah, I mean, you move dates, and it's gonna. My my, my questioning would be, uh, the I don't know if the Fourth of July really is gonna put butts in the seats because you know it's a hot weekend, and that was the big concern of why they tried to move it out of the end of July last year. So, or two years ago, excuse me, into September, like we've seen. Uh, we'll see. I mean, they're going to keep tweaking the packaging that that these cars have, and it's just it's the bottom line is you got to get back to better racing. You got to have you got to have the chance to have, you know, seven to ten people, you know, have have a chance to win. And in the last couple of years, it's been either Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and that's just the way it's gone. And you've got to be able to make that 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 race. You got to come here and test a little bit more. And you got to be able to spend money to have those testing. So. We'll see. Maybe they move into the road course. Maybe they think about it. 
But if they can get the packages down, maybe they slow them down by 5 to 10 miles an hour, but it keeps the cars closer and it's easier to pass if you have the ability to pass. It would make this a much better race, and then I think you'd get butts in the seats because people want to go out there and see good racing, not follow the leader. You know, absolutely right. I think that the road courses would be the follow of the leader, but it would be something different. And I think one of the, the big things that Indianapolis has to address, and I, I understand the tradition, and it's, we don't have time to get into it, but they got to bring lights to that. And I'm not for the Indy 500, but NASCAR under under the lights would be a, a, a perfect uh, scenario, though. Tony, I appreciate you joining us. You told me you didn't have me for a few minutes, so I appreciate that. We'll get into college football here in just a minute. And uh, I'll shoot you out a text when I get to track maybe we can meet up yep all right man enjoy the day and there uh, should be pretty good weather out there all right we'll see you soon see ya tony donahue of the tony d podcast uh taking some time to uh, join us and talk some nascar obviously nascar in town this weekend uh and uh, of course we're talking about the dirt track as well and uh joining us now is well, we're not going to call him the biggest NASCAR fan, but we'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, at least he knows what a race car is. Rick Riggin, how are you, sir? Pretty good. How you doing? Hey, you know, we got 15 minutes left in the NASCAR segment, so we will, we're we going to make you uh, talk some NASCAR with us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, it won't I, be a very I, good conversation. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. I, I, I sent you a text and stuff from the um, – dirt track that on Thursday. And I just think it's a great idea to merge those, those races uh, together. And I'm not going to ask for your uh, uh, professional analysis of NASCAR, but, but just to be at Indianapolis for a race, how cool is that? Well, I was listening and I'm just sitting here wondering that isn't IMS the most popular track in the country. Maybe Daytona might be the world. I don't think the world. Yeah, in the world. And NASCAR is the most popular racing series in the country, right? So how come the two uh, it can't be the greatest like, you know, race every year? I mean, I know Daytona is the Super Bowl for NASCAR, right? But how come that Indianapolis Motor Speedway and NASCAR can't get it right? If that's the most popular racing series and the most popular track in the world, how come that's not a good marriage? Well, the 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 reason sounds very uh uh high levels but i'll give you the high level of it is that it's it's the engineering of the track the track was designed to be a fast oval for indycar it the the problem with that is that you you have to you can't engineering aspects it's hard to to keep to to get your race cars fast enough so that they can pass each other and go three wide and four wide, and, that, and that's a little bit about what Tony was talking about. If we they could just figure out how to get good racing, the problem is you're not getting good racing there. It's great to have it there as a tradition to say, "Hey, I'm at Indianapolis. Hey, I'm at Daytona." It just like it would be cool to see IndyCar at Daytona. I don't think that marriage were. I think if Daytona brought IndyCar, you'd see the same problems. That you that you're seeing there, so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That 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 is the extent of me trying to come up with a good question for racing. <laughs> you know that's okay. Let's talk about this, and we're gonna go to a break and come back and get into college football. But you were at the Louisville game last week. First of all, how was it? And did you did you see the cheerleader shot to the nose? I don't know. I didn't see it. I've just seen the highlights of it. 
I didn't see it when it happened live. Uh, uh, Ian Book threw about three or four passes out of bounds that game to uh, you know avoid getting sacks or maybe nobody's open so throws the ball away. So I didn't see uh, the cheerleader getting. I think she's actually part of the dance team, but I didn't see her get hit. Obviously, when you're there live, it's just afterwards. But I think it's pretty cool because she's gained a little bit of popularity because of this happened, and she's riding that wave on social media like she's milking it for all that it's worth. And I think Ian Book even slid into her, into her DMs there and uh, with an apology. You said I think Ian Book even slid into her. <laughs> yep, in the DMs, Tom. That's what the young guys say. That's what what is going on with you, there. man? You're giving me all what kinds of free about? softballs. Never mind. <laughs> you you said all right. All the girls, close. Put your hands over your ears. We're gonna do some guy talk here. You said Ian Book slid into her. Yeah, into her DMs. Never mind. I, <laughs> guy talk slid into her DM. I mean, I don't know. My mind's going in all different directions, and and and. I don't know. Tom DM is the uh, DMs is the uh, millennial term for direct messages. I, I get it. I was going okay. somewhere else with it. <laughs> Hold on, I think I put some clarity into this before it gets too far. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the balance. Who's this, gentlemen? Mike in Pittsburgh. How are you doing? Hey, Mike. How are you, sir? How's, how's things going Good. in Pittsburgh land? you got to be happy about Antonio Brown right now, right? Well, I'm, believe it or not, I'm, I'm living in Pittsburgh, and I'm not a Steeler fan. So uh, <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the angle, how, how can A.B. screw the Steelers? And here, here it is. Okay, you go to the we're Patriots. You, you go to the Patriots now. Obviously, no team is going to give him guaranteed money now. Um, you psychologically convince Brown that he wants to screw it to the Steelers, and I think he buys in for this year. Obviously, you you can't count on this guy for an extended period of time, but I think he is very um, mentally challenged. Let's be honest, he's a great athlete, but if he's a normal person – um, this guy has some major issues. So no, I, I think New England, if you're New England, you sign him to some contract like the Raiders were trying to do. I'm um, looking today at, at game by game instead of guaranteed money and throw it out there. This is the way you screw the Steelers. This is the way you show Gruden and the Raiders and Maylock that, hey, look, I screwed you too. And you're going to get him for nothing. It's an absolute, you know, you know Belichick. He's ruthless. If Brown comes in and starts this, he'll just get rid of him. But that's exactly what the Patriots need now. They didn't need a a, a receiver. Just think of him and Josh Gordon on on both sides uh, of the line. Doesn't that make up for Gronkowski? No, I, I tell you what, what a smart move it would be. I mean, I'm not a New England fan. Uh, I'm not a New England fan at all, but uh, to to see Antonio Brown, it makes sense. I, I I can't see how you can do what he did in Oakland if you're a regular employee anywhere else, and, and you and you do what he did. Rick, you could chime in too. But 
you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't uh, do the things. And, and he's a diva in, in a big way. And Rick Riggin, I know you're a big uh, uh, college football guy, but what, Rick, uh, as you listen to our caller from Pittsburgh here, what are your thoughts? Uh, two thoughts really here. You know, if Antonio Brown still plays Monday night and this decision came up to uh, came down to John Gruden's, you know, decision basically being the head coach, doesn't that take all power away from Mike Mayock? Does that send the message that Mayock really has no power? And then my second point is there's a lot of chatter out there because two years ago, whenever Antonio Brown took that big shot for Vontez Perfect and it took him out of the seat, took, took him out of the game, he got that big concussion. Uh, before that, he was really an eccentric guy, you know. But after that, he's been different. It's like he's got some kind of mental uh, – I don't, I don't know problems the right word, but like his chemical makeup basically on his decision-making and how he acts now after that Vontez Perfect hit. Uh, maybe he's dealing with some CTE or something now because that was a huge hit he took. And there's some chatter out there after that hit by Vontez Perfect. Uh, he's become a different dude. Well, CTE, you can't test when they're alive, and that's that's the bad the the thing about it. And, and well, I'm not yeah, downsizing it, that. But I, I'm not I'm not downsizing yeah. that at all. But I, I'm saying we don't know if that's what it is. But maybe he's playing it up. Uh, caller from Pittsburgh. What was your name again? Mike in Pittsburgh. Mike, we appreciate you you jumping on board and giving it giving us your your thoughts on that. But you're you're absolutely right. But you said you weren't a Pittsburgh fan. So what what fan are you? Well, it's kind of strange because I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan my entire life, Uh but I'm so fed up with the Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett uh, dynamic that I'm not nearly as diehard as I used to be. I I just, you know, yeah, I love the Cowboys more than anything, but I can't stand those two, those two guys, Garrett and Jerry Jones. And obviously they're the ones in charge. So unfortunately, until they're gone somehow, some way, I don't see a bright future for the Cowboys, uh, no matter who who they're signing here. I'm not at all sold on Dak Prescott, especially if you're going to pay him $33, $32 million a year. Um, I just think that's a disaster waiting to happen. But um, I've, over the last few years, I've just – Learn to appreciate Belichick and Brady um, so much. I mean, uh, just if you look at history, there's no one at Brady's age, 42, a quarterback in the NFL, that's doing what he's doing. You know, whether you say it's the rules helping out the quarterbacks or whatever, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And I'm just gravitating, and I'm starting to appreciate more and more what I'm seeing with the Patriots. And I, and I never thought I'd say that because I'm not a Patriots fan at all. But just seeing how these guys come back, Belichick and Brady, year after year, with all the players coming in and out, and, and every year they're there, it's just actually amazing to me. And, I, and I'm 47. I've been following the NFL probably since 1980. And the more I see it, the more I appreciate it. And when Brady leaves the league, you know, it's really going to be, you know, something major. Um, I always said that I thought Joe Montana was the best quarterback I ever saw, and and no one would ever compare to him. But um, 
what I'm seeing in Brady at his age is really inspiring. I mean, just not what I'm seeing on the football field, but the way he takes care of himself and the way he, uh, you know, runs his life. Mike, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, join us in the sec- in the next hour, last half hour of the show. Here, we're going to be talking with uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and we're going to break down uh, the uh, Antonio Brown and the Elliott signing with the Dal- Dallas Cowboys. We appreciate you joining us. I hope you have a good day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike from Pittsburgh. Good talk to you. Uh, Mike from Pittsburgh uh, chimes in on on Antonio Brown, and I'm I'm so glad he called. But uh, we're going to get into that in 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 the last half hour here. But he makes a lot of valid points, Rick. Yeah, he sure does. A lot of great points about the uh, the Patriots, and I, the whole time he was talking about the Patriots, I'm thinking how uh, uh, the Patriots are going to get Antonio Brown for the Raiders for like a seventh round pick because you know how Bill Belichick works. You know he gets the most out of players, and uh, these. The players in in New England aren't getting paid, you know, these high dollar contracts. Other than Tom Brady, who takes less money every year, it seems like, so they can build a team around him. I wouldn't be surprised if they do give up a sixth or seventh round pick to get Antonio Brown. You know what? I do not see. I could be wrong here, but they're going to have to. You know, we're going to get into this again in the NFL segment here, but I, you know. It was almost a fist fight. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. There was a racist remark that was made. This he cannot stay on the um, uh, the Oakland Raiders. He's going to play NFL for someone, and maybe this all gets resolved. But but the, the Raiders made the decision that they're going to suspend him. They have to stick by that. As it's, as unpopular of a decision it might be among fans, they have to stick by that. And honestly, if I'm the Raiders. He, they've already created a legal precedent by giving him that in writing. So they're, they're trying to position themselves so they can get back that $30 million of guaranteed money. Rick, we're going to uh, take a break and we'll be right back. We're going to get into college football with Rick Riggin, our college football contributor. Give us a call, 917-889-8516. Talk college football. We'll be right back right after this. Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to the balance nine one seven eight nine eight five one six is our digits. We roll into hour number two. Thank you so much, Matthew Embry of WSBT and South Brand, breaking down some IndyCar action for us as we get ready for Laguna and a little bit of uh, Notre Dame talk. And Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast joining us to talk some NASCAR action as they roll into Indianapolis here. And as soon as this show's over, I'm headed down to 16th in Georgetown uh, to check out some uh, NASCAR action. But it's time to get into college football action. Uh, Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor. Rick, let's start things out. You were out at Louisville last week. Give us the breakdown uh, between the Louisville Cardinals and the, and, the, and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And I'm bringing this up again that I brought up with Matthew. I mean, yes, they won the game. And, they, okay, we'll even use the word dominated the game. But the way they played against Louisville, if that's, if that's, the, if that's how they're going to play the rest of the year, you guys might as well sign off your season. Well, I don't know if I would go that far just yet. Uh, obviously, when I was there, and the crowd was great in Louisville. That place was hostile. The, the energy was really high for that. And uh, But Louisville comes out and runs up and down the field on us, goes up 14-7 in the first quarter, and I'm sitting there stressed out and pissed off. But I can't do anything about it. Just got to keep it bottled in because you don't want to start a fight or nothing like that or get mouthy because <laughs> I, I can do that from time to time. But uh, it was Yo, stressful. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. But when you take a step back, and I actually watched the game again the day after, or a majority of it on TV, uh, 
Notre Dame kind of didn't know what to expect from Louisville because their new coach, Scott Satterfield, came from App State. So all they had for film was Scott Satterfield at Appalachian State. So, But with the caliber of athletes at Louisville and running that offense, it's kind of a different animal. And in the first quarter, it looked like Notre Dame, for the most part, stayed in their nickel package instead of just running their defensive scheme, probably trying to fill out Louisville. But after Notre Dame uh, went down 14-7, they went back into their scheme, their normal defensive scheme, and then the Irish went on a 28-3 run. So after that 14 points given up in the first quarter, they only gave up three for the rest of the for the rest of the game, and they kind of, yeah, Ian Book was not perfect. He didn't dominate kind of maybe how you thought he would. The downfield passing wasn't there, but they did take over that game and win kind of in a dominating fashion. So once you take a step back and look at that game. Uh, it's probably a typical first game. Knock off the rust, uh, not knowing what, exactly what your opponent is going to do. So, you know, I, I'm not as angry now as I was. Then. It was unfulfilling at the time, but I think I'm all right with it now. You think you're all right with it now? You're going to make it. But you know what? In a very interesting sort of things, we could still – Say the same thing. Let's let's shift gears here, and let's go to the Michigan game. Yes, Michigan won, and we could say they dominated. But you look at that that Middle Tennessee uh, game against Michigan. Same scenario, same scenario. So if we're going to attack Notre Dame, let's attack Michigan because God knows I love doing that, and so do you. Well, here's what you're going to love is they play Army today, and I do not yes. sleep on Army in that game today. I, I'm looking forward to watching this because they're going to bring that triple option attack there in, into the big house. And, uh, you know, what I know from experience with Notre Dame playing Navy every year, you might, might – Michigan is not going to run the score up on Army. And they might win the game. They're not going to run the score up on them. And I wouldn't be surprised they lose some key players to injury because they are not used to defending the option in the way Notre Dame does. And Notre Dame, uh, Navy beats the hell on Notre Dame every year. I hate the Navy game because of the injuries that happen uh, during that game uh, for the Irish on defense anyway. So we always lose like, like a key player two every year. I will not be surprised if something like this happens to Michigan today because they do not see a triple option team every year like Notre Dame does. One of the things that Michigan counts most on is being able to to uh, uh, capitalize, if you will, on penalties. And you're not going to get penalties from Army or Navy, for that matter. Any of the service schools, you're not yeah, going to get penalties right. because they're one of the most disciplined teams you'll ever play. And you're right. I, I wish that I could see that game today, but I've got so much on my plate. going to be out there at the track, and then I have a fundraiser this evening, so and then I have to get ready for the race tomorrow. But I wish I could but go Army. Go Army. Uh, Rick Riggett, our official college uh, football contributor. Rick, we're going to give you the next two minutes as we break down the top 25 as we see it today. Well, really, the uh, the top 25 for today, it, it comes down to two games. Uh, it, obviously, uh, LSU and Texas tonight. Uh, say what you want about Texas being back or not. I mean, I don't know if they really are. Uh, I think athletically, at least at the quarterback position, uh, I don't think they're quite there. I think they're going to be pretty good. I don't know if they beat Oklahoma this year like they did last year. Obviously, when they came down to the Big 12 championship game, they lost to Oklahoma. They did beat them the regular season. Uh, with Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, I, I don't know if Texas gets it done this year. But I do believe LSU comes into Texas tonight and they get a big win. I, I, 
I don't think it'd be a blowout. I think it would be a close game, obviously, because but LSU looks really great on offense. So uh, I'm going with LSU tonight. And then we got Clemson at Texas A&M this afternoon. And Clemson, to me, last week did not look that great. I'm one of the handful of people that actually has the ACC network, and I got to watch a good portion of that. Yeah. Uh, they did not look that great to me last week, especially uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I don't know if it was, they just dialed things down to not get him hurt in, in the first game of the season or something like that. But I think he only passed for like 170 yards. He had a couple of interceptions. Uh, he wasn't the Trevor Lawrence. Uh, like we thought Trevor Lawrence should play like. He should throw for like three or 400 yards and a couple touchdowns or something to get the weak opponent to, like they play last week. We're all over Ian Book right now for not destroying Louisville. But look what Trevor Lawrence did. His numbers are a lot worse against a far inferior opponent than what Louisville was from Notre Dame. But uh, I I think Texas A&M goes into Death Valley. And this is be a, a hot take or a freezing cold take, whichever you want to say. I think A&M with Kellen Munn at quarterback ekes out a win and surprises the world here. I, I think Texas A&M might be back more than what Texas is, and I think Texas A&M could pull off a big upset tonight at Death Valley. Talking with Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor. Thank you for joining us on 917 8518 If you want to talk some college football, uh, give us a ringy-ding-ding. Cincinnati at number five, Ohio State. You know, I, I think – Ohio State will certainly uh, be able to handle this. The Buckeyes have won 11 consecutive games against the Bearcats uh, with their last uh, loss coming back in, what, 1897 or something like that, back in the Civil War area. But <laughs> Cincinnati, by the way, is 0-16 uh, all-time against uh, teams ranked in the top five in the AP poll. Uh, not a lot to talk about here, but what are your thoughts the Bearcats and, and the uh, Buckeyes? Well, Ohio State last week was another team that was slow going in the first half, but then they really turned it on the second half. And Justin Fields, the uh, transfer from Georgia, really looks the part there for Ohio State. I mean, they, once they got going, it's like they didn't skip a beat from the way they've looked the past two or three seasons. So I, I do think Ohio State gets the win, but I think it's, they're also pretty pathetic because they're playing Cincinnati. So it's an in-state rival, rivalry game, but they made a hype video. You know, for the game, and I thought that was just oh, I saw that on YouTube. Yes, pretty cheesy, pretty cheesy. Because you're playing Cincinnati. Give me a break. Let's move on. Big Ten action. Uh, you've got Rutgers at number twenty, Iowa. Uh, Hawkeyes quarterback Nate Stanley has fifty-five career touchdown passes since the start of the twenty seventeen season. That ranks tied for the seventh best in the FBS and the most among uh, Big Ten quarterbacks in that span. I mean, we got to look at Iowa to easily handle uh, Rutgers uh, today. Yeah, I agree with you there. And Rutgers is just all over social media because that's this is the 150th uh, year for college football, and Rutgers is uh, claiming to be the birthplace of college football. Even though they were kind of in that first game, what's known to be the first college football game against Lehigh. So they claim to be the birthplace of college football. But uh, just let, let's look at Rutgers. Let's take a step back and look at Rutgers for the past eight or ten years. Maybe they should just give up college football for a little bit and focus on doing something else, maybe get out of the Big Ten because they completely cannot compete in the Big Ten. They need to go back to the Big East because uh, I know that's a thing still for, for uh, football. I think UConn or whatever just went back to the Big East. Rutgers needs to do things, step down in the, in the talent, in the, in the competition, maybe get some wins, and then start thinking about coming back up to a big boy conference because they clearly 
cannot play college football. Well, the, the, Rutgers is a, is a clear example as as to is, it has nothing to do with your competitive advantage or competition ability. It has everything to do with how deep your pockets are. Uh, so Rutgers will stay in the Big Ten, but as our as our good friend of the show, uh, Derek Schultz of the Query and Schultz Shows, calls it Rucker uh, because they haven't earned the S yet. So we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll keep saying that uh, the day uh, the good old days when Rutgers was not part of the Big Ten. But then, of course, then we didn't have Nebraska at that point either. And Nebraska is a, is a pretty good team to have in the Big Ten. Let's move on to number uh, 21 against uh, Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse at Maryland. Um, Virginia Tech transferred Josh Jackson, passed for four touchdowns in Maryland's debut last week. This was the first time a Maryland QB has had four touchdown passes and zero interceptions in the game since Danny O'Brien in 2010. Let's say you're Rick Greg and Syracuse at Maryland Turtles. Turtle, turtle, well, turpins. I- okay, turpins. All right. <laughs> Go ahead. I really like Dino Bavers, uh, head coach at Syracuse. I think he's got that program going the right direction. I would not be surprised if that is the second-best team in the ACC this year. Obviously, they're nowhere near the the level Clemson is, but they could be uh, right there at the end. Uh, Second, third place, maybe fly. I I don't know how the divisions break down off the top of my head in the ACC, but they could be playing against Clemson if they're not in the same division as Clemson anyway uh, for the ACC championship. I think they're that good. I think they're the second-best team. I think it would be a, a close game today. I'm not sure what the spread is on it. Uh, Maryland gets in these games like Texas the last two years, and they've actually beat Texas the past two seasons. Uh, this is one of those games where just watch out for Maryland, but I think Syracuse gets the win. I like Syracuse in the ACC. Well, you know, it's legal to bet now in the state of Indiana and across the United States in sports uh, sportsbook betting, and we'll get a little bit into that with Mo for the BS Sports Show, but Mo always says if you're in that two to five range, stay away from that, and so the spread is two, uh, in, in, obviously in, in, in the favor of uh, Syracuse, so there you go. Northern Illinois at Utah, not a lot to talk about here. The Utes running back. Zach Moss picked up 187 rushing yards in the season opener and recorded eight rushing yards and 10-plus yards, which is tied for the most FBS for week one. Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts and Cal running back Christopher Brown were the others to hit that mark. Not a lot to talk about, but Northern Illinois against the Utes. Yeah, I mean, maybe Utah now is the best team in the Pac-12 since Oregon's supposed to beat Auburn last week and couldn't pull it off. And that's just bad news for the Pac-12. If you're the best team in the Pac-12 like Oregon's supposed to be and you can't beat the fifth, sixth, or seventh best team in the, AC, in the SEC like Auburn, uh, that's that's a big problem for the Pac-12. So uh, I think all eyes in the Pac-12 now are on Utah, maybe Washington State, but it's going to be a pretty easy game today for Utah. Keep on moving down the road there. You know, we talked a little bit about Texas A&M and Clemson earlier, but Texas A&M's Kellen Mond uh, three for 430 yards, three touchdowns in last season's 28-26 to 26 loss uh, to the Tigers. His ni- 96.4 QBR that night is the highest the Tigers have allowed in, in a game since. So you look at uh, t- uh, Texas A&M against Clemson Tigers. Yeah, uh, like I said just, uh, what, five minutes ago talking about this game, like kind of out of line here because I brought this game up before you're ready for me to bring it up. I think A&M can can actually go into uh, Death Valley and steal a win here. Clemson did it last year. They 
went on the road to Texas A&M. Got a, that game was a great game, a close uh, close game. Uh, Clemson pulled it off at the end. I think A&M can actually return the favor today. You know, just because they're in the the top twenty-five, that's why we're going to talk about this game. We got Central Michigan at number seventeen, Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor has twenty-three career games of at least one hundred rushing yards, fourth most in Wisconsin history with a hundred yards against Central Michigan. Taylor will tie Anthony Davis with for the third most in school history. Not a lot to talk about this, but other than they're in the top twenty-five, Central Michigan at number seventeen. Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah, it's basically a bye week for Wisconsin. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is about the only uh, Heisman candidate that's not a quarterback, and he had a big game last week. He's going to do the same this week. Uh, he's probably going to rush for over 200 yards against Central Michigan. So a bye week for Wisconsin, and uh, Wisconsin could actually win the Big Ten this year. Okay, so we were talking about the uh, the top 25. Uh, coming in at number 25 is Nebraska, and they can't happen to come in the top 10 about the same time that Rutgers did. They're at Colorado. Nebraska has two defensive touchdowns in its season uh, opener after scoring a defensive touchdown uh, last season. Last season, I'm sorry. The last time the Cornhuskers scored a defensive touchdown <laughs> in back-to-back games was in 2010. Uh, well, uh, I think Nebraska is on the up and up. Uh, I think Scott Frost is uh, going to have that program turned around here quickly. Uh, they finally they got their first win of the season last week, obviously, his first game of the year. But it took them to, like, game six or seven last season to actually get their first win under Scott Frost. So uh, that's the real reason why I bring that stat up. Uh, I think they're a bold team this year. I think seven or eight wins. I think Nebraska it gets gets the job done today. Okay. We always got to talk about Alabama, so let's just get it off. They let's just get it off the table. Uh, New Mexico comes into Alabama. New Mexico State has, I'm sorry, New Mexico State has never beaten an AP, AP top five team ever. And uh, so, if this happens, we're going to be talking to, not about Appalachian State again. We're going to be talking about New Mexico State. This is not going to happen. But Alabama is in the top 25 quite clearly. Number two, uh, they take on, they host New Mexico State, again, by week for Alabama. Yeah, that's not going to happen today. It's not even going to happen halfway through the first quarter. That game's going to be over probably. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm fine as Bama playing New Mexico State. Notre Dame gets a, a, a team or two, you know, lower tier, tier division one. But when you go look at Alabama's schedule, the only thing I have a problem with it is when they drop, they play teams like this, and they also play FCS schools. And that drives me insane. I think any team that plays FCS, and New Mexico State's obviously Division One FBS, but when you play FCS also, uh, you should be not eligible uh, for the playoffs. And that drives me nuts. Some of the argument is, you know, they're in the playoff every year, and nobody can beat them once they get in the playoff anyway, even though Clemson proved that wrong last year. But still, if you play FCS schools, if, if they're on your schedule, you're disqualified for the playoff. I mean, you don't see the NFL half midway through the season playing Canadian football teams. So don't do it in college football. I mean, that it, it it's so dumb. So I know they're going to give these schools a million dollars so they can beat the crap out of them. But if you do that, you shouldn't be eligible for the playoff. 
Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. You do you do know that this is a fundraiser for the other schools. So there's a fundraiser for New Mexico State, for example. Just like it's a fundraiser uh, for Murray State at number three, Georgia. Now, let's talk about Jack, Jack Foreman, 24-5 and five since uh, taking over Georgia's uh, uh, quarterback, quarterback in week two of, of 2017. I'm sorry. And I know that Georgia is a team that uh, Notre Dame is watching closely. Because that is going to be the determination whether or not you guys get in the playoffs or not. When I say you guys, I mean Notre Dame. But Murray State at Georgia, number three. Yeah, just like Notre Dame is on a bye this week, so is Georgia. So that's another FCS school. That, like I just talked about, Murray State is not Division One in football. So when you schedule these teams like that, you shouldn't be allowed in the playoff. I don't care what you do all year. So it's like having multiple bye weeks. Why have a practice game? Why, I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. But, yeah, it's a fundraiser for, uh, for Murray State, basically. So when you say that, do you, do you, do you uh, believe the same thing about Notre Dame when they have these type of games in their schedule? Notre Dame doesn't have those games. They don't, they don't schedule FCS schools. Okay. Well, point. All right. Yeah. Never they ask don't. a Notre Dame fan <laughs> anything. Well, ah. just look at the schedule. Look at the schedule. Look, go back in their history. In their, they don't schedule FCS schools. They don't go down a talent like that. They don't go down a division to play a football game. Every school that they schedule is Division One. Now, sometimes it might be lower tier, like they play New Mexico next week, but they're not FCS. But no, uh, we could get into this argument another day and another time, but Notre Dame's not even at a freaking conference in football. That doesn't matter. I mean, why do you need a conference? Why do you need a conference championship game? Uh, well, you don't need a championship. But if you, you don't need, need a conference, Rick, if you don't need a conference, why, why, why are they, why are they the best team in the ACC? Why are they it's in a the money ACC draft. in basketball? That's all it is. Why, why, why is Notre Dame in the ACC in basketball? Because I, I feel like it's different in basketball because you had that big tournament at the end. You had the big tournaments of football. It's a different gig. You only get 12 games a year to prove your point. You don't need a 13th game like a conference championship game to, to show, like, how good you've been all year. Like, my point is Clemson played Pitt last year in the ACC championship game. Pitt, Pitt had four or five losses, and Clemson's Clemson, undefeated. Uh, we didn't need to see Clemson versus Pitt to know who the best team in the ACC was. So I don't understand the point in conference championship games. Get rid of all conference championship games and expand the playoff. That is the best way to do it. Why is Notre Dame in the ACC in baseball? And they're in the big My point in, being, in, Rick, in is they're in the ACC in everything but football. In no, other words, everything else, all the, all, the, all the rules apply to all the other college universities except for Notre Dame football. No. But when you schedule FC, FCS <laughs> schools and you do it twice a year, that's like only playing 10 games instead of 12. So why play the extra conference championship game? It, it makes no sense. Welcome back to the balance, Rick Reagan. Good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> They're pointless. Conference let's, championship let's, games are pointless. Uh, let's keep it up. Let's keep it going. Northern Colorado at number 22, Washington State. Now, Rick, now here's something you might agree with me on. I think Northern Colorado could beat Washington State today. Uh, I do not agree with you on that. I think Mike Leach is going to beat him by 50 points today. <laughs> no. There's not even a line. Yeah. There's not even a line set yet. Why would there be a line? Because it's going to be a 50-point blowout. So, of course, there's no line set for it. 
Well, the Cougars have lost two of their last four games against FCS opponents. Just saying. FCS, they've, they've lost two of the last four against FCS schools. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty good. See? I don't think what happened That's today. <laughs> All right, let's see what happens with Jalen Hurts today. <laughs> Oklahoma, it's South Dakota. Again, we're, we're, we're talking about these these games that really don't matter in the big scheme of things, but because they are in the top 25, number uh, four, Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts leads FBS QB, FBS QBs with 176 <laughs> yards, only five QBs in the last uh, 10 seasons have reached 300 yards within their uh, team's two games, South Dakota at, at Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma is clearly going to win this game by a whole bunch. Uh, I think Oklahoma needs to use this game to work on their defense because their defense is just really terrible. Uh, maybe you don't need much defense so you can score 50 points a game, but I think they should just use this game to work on their defensive scheme because they have zero defense at Oklahoma. So maybe a, a school like South Dakota is a good practice squad to, to you know, try to teach some defensive players how to tackle and learn some defensive schemes or something there. They should use this game to work on defense. South Dakota in that? Or no, wait, no, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Aaron Rodgers went to North Dakota and that's South Dakota, right? That's right. How about Aaron Rodgers went to Cal. He went to Cal. Are you sure about that? Hundred percent. You're thinking Carson Wentz went to North Dakota State. That's who I'm thinking of. You're right. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. Of course. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly who I was thinking of. But he went to North Dakota, not South Dakota. So the point, the, the conversation is moot. We've run out about out of time. Let's go ahead and talk about number six uh, LSU at, at number nine Texas. It's going to be the game of the week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this game. I don't know what I want to eat later for the watch this game. I don't know if it's chicken wings or grill something or uh we'll see what we can get mama uh, cooking later on for this game. But uh I'm looking forward <laughs> to this. And uh <laughs> I mean I'm watching K Day in the background. I have it on mute. I mean they've already had the Undertaker out there making picks for Texas. I know Matthew Conahay is gonna be their guest uh picker later on. He's obviously gonna pick Texas because he's part of like the coaching staff or something now. I, I have no idea. He's, he's involved with them somehow. But it's cool to see The Undertaker, you know, come out in the smoke and the pyro a little bit ago and pick Texas. So uh, I I just think that LSU gets the win. I know this is games in Austin. It's going to be a hostile environment. But LSU plays is used to playing in hostile environments because their home stadium is one. I, I think LSU gets it done. The bigger question is, a guy like you with a badass boat, a badass grill, a badass backyard has to say, I got to see what I'm going to get mama to cook up. Really? Give me your freaking yeah, man yeah. card, bro. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, I saw your, uh, not to divert here, but I saw your Facebook cover the other day or Twitter. I don't know what it was. And you guys were at a Notre Dame game with your two young kids. Now, I know your kids are pretty near grown now. Wow. Yeah. I, it's like uh, that is man like what was that this five guy forever. years ago <laughs> yeah that was actually four five six years ago. that was the game against LSU in Nashville that is my uh background cover on my Facebook so but oh yeah they're they're grown now I mean my son's like I don't know he's like four or five inches taller than me now you know I'm only five nine he's like <laughs> six foot you know he's <laughs> 
He looks a lot like the mailman. No, I'm just kidding with you, bro. Uh, You're Rick, right. <laughs> it's probably, hey, it's so, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly outkicked your coverage when it, when it comes to Dina, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just yep. kidding with you. <laughs> uh, Rick, are you going to stick around for NFL? So we get into this. Yeah, uh, Antonio. yeah I, we, we have NFL breaking news, by the way, but I'll wait for Ed Kras to come on. Oh, maybe you didn't. Do you know something I don't know? I, I might. Yeah. I just might. Oh, goodness. We're gonna right, have so to, we'll wait for Ed. I'm going to have to bring I'm going to have to bring this out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what are we binging on this week? I tell you what, I finished up the Mayans, uh, ready for season two of the Mayans. I'm going to let it circulate for a few weeks so that I've got something to binge on. And, and I know I'm, I'm way out past everything, and it's way over, and it's been over for a while. But I've been – I love that show, Last Ship, so I've been catching up on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that not, one. There's nothing it's – not, it's not like Stranger Things. And some of the shows uh-huh. that we really love to binge on, but there's a great show on Netflix called um, Okay, it's about, it's kind of like Mayans, but it's like the Irish people. It's called um, Peaky Pink Peaks. Oh, Peaky Blinders. Oh, that 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 is good. I'm I just started watching it. I'm like like episode <laughs> three into season one. Have you seen that? I have not. I, I've heard of it. Uh, we just got done with season two of Mindhunter. If you haven't watched that, it's a great show. Oh, yeah. Well, I absolutely like some. Want an egg salad sandwich? They make really good egg salad sandwiches here. You want... <laughs> Remember that? Remember that, that scene where he's in the prison? Yeah, I, he's, I do. Hey, hey, you want an egg salad sandwich? <laughs> they make really good egg salad sandwiches here. <laughs> I'm into that. So, don't, uh, no, no, uh, uh, we're, we're going to start. A, a a somewhat of a segment called uh, "What Are You Binging On?" and we'll 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 create a whole thing on that for Rick Rickard. Rick, we're gonna gotcha. take a break. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll be right back because we've got this. component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. 
so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Balance 30 minutes left on the clock. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT, and South Bend. Joining us to uh, talk some Indy, our official IndyCar contributor, talking some IndyCar championship coming up in a couple weeks in Laguna, and also talking about what's going on here in Indianapolis this weekend. Well, of course, NASCAR is here in town, and Tony Donahue of the Tony D podcast joined us to help us break that down. I had a lot of fun hanging out at the dirt track uh, this week at Thursday, then yesterday at the Xfinity race. Right after the show, I'm headed down to 16th and Georgetown to do uh, my race stuff with Speedway Digest uh, as we do cup practice and we do Xfinity qualifying and we've got the Xfinity race tonight as well. So a lot on the agenda racing and then tomorrow up early doing it all again for the uh, Big Machine Vodka 400 as I do my my, my other uh, media obligations down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But joining us now uh, is Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor, hanging out for another half hour. Rick says he has some uh, breaking news for us. Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, uh, I'm great, Tom. That sounds like you got a busy weekend. hope you can squeeze some uh, NFL football in there during all this racing action. Well, I, I certainly plan on it because I'm going to be at the race when the Colts game starts, but I think by the time it's over with, I could catch the last half of it. But uh, So I, I might be doing uh, double duty, but let's hope that the NFL uh, Sunday is better than the crap fest that what we saw on, on uh, Thursday night with the Packers and the Bears, only one touchdown. Real quickly, Ed, that was a crap fest. I'm sorry, as an NFL fan, I, I just walked away unsatisfied. <laughs> you know, I, I want to say hi to Rick, too, Rick. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that uh, trip to Louisville doing, last week. Good, good. Oh, yeah, I, I followed your journey down there to Louisville. It looked like a great time. Um, yes, sir. But yeah, yeah, good, good. 
Yeah, but so, yeah, I mean, it was you know, it was a defensive, it was a defensive game. Tom, it was like the Super Bowl last year. You know, how ugly <laughs> was that Super Bowl last year? And then we, you know, it just kind of carried over into the 2019 season opener. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're seeing the uh, the lack of reps that players are getting in the preseason. You know, the teams are, aren't coming out on the same page. Um, at least that was the case Thursday. Uh, teams aren't on the same page. Defense is way ahead of the offense. You know, we asked Doug Peterson about it Friday at his press conference, and he said it was just a defensive game. He said both those defenses are very good, but um, because the Eagles could be in that same boat Sunday, and so could a lot of teams. Carson Wentz didn't take any reps uh, in the preseason. Aaron Rodgers didn't have any reps. Mitchell Trubisky didn't throw any passes uh, in the preseason. But I think if you're a Bears fan, you have to be worried that that's going to be kind of the same story this year as a very good defense, but a very shaky offense. Uh, unless Mitch Trubisky can figure out a way to kind of develop between, you know, that opener and the way the rest of the season. But uh, it is football. Let's face it. I'm sure you watched all four quarters. I'm sure most of America did because it's football, even though it wasn't a good game, it was still football. Fans were tuned in uh, and, uh, you know, they didn't get exactly what they wanted, but we'll see how things happen on Sunday and Monday night. Joining us also uh, a little bit fashionably late, but that's just Mo for it's Mo from the BS sports show. Mo, how is you, sir? Good. How about you guys? Fantastic. So Ed's joining us. Rick's joining us. I do want to get into this uh, Antonio Brown story now that that we're all here. But um, I know, Rick, you said in last last segment you have some breaking news. Let's see how breaking it is. Wait a minute. Wait. Before we go. Wait. Yeah, give me the cue. Rick Reagan, breaking news for the NFL. Go ahead, sir. The Raiders have voided the $29 million guaranteed to Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is now asking for his release. His release is coming soon, and we're here two days before the Raiders kicked their season off. But the uh, Raiders have voided, out of that, voided that contract, uh, that money owed for Antonio Brown. According to a source from Rick Reagan, guys, and I, and I picked this up on the Bay Area radio today, and yesterday and earlier this week, they're playing it all over the place. Maybe. Hold on. Stand by. Hey, and my source, my source is Adam Schefter. There we go. Here we go. Love, love will keep us together. Think of me. That's being played all across the Bay Area, and now we got this news, Ed. Let's get your reaction. You know, we had a caller, and it actually made some very good points. We had earlier on in the show, we had a caller from Pittsburgh, Mike from Pittsburgh, called, and he was talking about even though he's not a, a Patriots fan, he's not even a Steelers fan. He's actually a diehard Cowboy fan, but he was talking with us that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are suited right to pick up uh, Antonio Brown. If what you're saying is, is, is right, I have not checked the sources, so we'll go with what you seem to be true, uh, Rick. But what are your thoughts, uh, Ed, and then we'll get you, Mo? Well, you know, we could talk about Antonio Brown right now this morning, and then in, you know, five, six hours, something will change. Uh, you know, I went to bed last night uh, thinking that Antonio Brown was going to play 
uh, Monday night. And then I wake up and I see this video that he posted uh, with Gruden talking to him on a private phone conversation. It's now out there publicly. And now this news that he's going to be uh, released because the Raiders aren't going to uh, pay him his guaranteed money. So uh, it could change. I mean, what we say now could change six hours from now. But right now I just don't see how, you know, he can return to Oakland. Um, you know, he's just a big headache. And I don't really know where he ends up at this point. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you could say the Patriots and Belichick, would he toe the line for Belichick? But, uh, you know, to me, why would you even take a chance on this guy? He's just one big headache. Uh, he's all about himself cares very little about the team and you know he could be unemployed this entire year you know for ratings purposes he could have uh did this a little bit sooner so he could have had all of this drama and uh soap opera bs uh at on hard knocks Um, mo how how happy is pittsburgh got to be right now they they got to be like who's laughing now well first let's talk about me because I drafted Antonio Brown in this auction league, man. I spent a ton of money on him, and then, remember then he, you know, he gets in the, he gets in the in the spat and says that you know he wasn't gonna play, you know, they're not gonna play him. So I trade Antonio Brown, and then yesterday, right after they say he's gonna play, the guy accepts the trade, and then this morning, now that they see he's gonna be released, I get a message saying, "You son of a bitch." So I'm happy today. Um, but you know, you know, here's, we were talking here about you know interesting places we could see Antonio Brown going, and I mean the Patriots obviously make sense when you think about Randy Moss and Corey Dillon and those types of guys. But to me, I I would say it's probably a team that you know thinks that they're a, a big player away from you know making it to a Super Bowl or, or being contenders, maybe like the Houston Texans or a team like the Carolina Panthers. Uh, would be interesting landing spots for uh, for Antonio Brown. I, I think it'd be fun to watch him play in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians and that offense where he likes to throw the football down the field like he did with the uh, Colts and Steelers. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're Pittsburgh right now, you're probably saying thank God. You know, when people were talking earlier this year that they uh, really fleeced the Raiders and now they've done it twice with Martavis Bryant and uh, now with uh, with Antonio Brown, but. Uh, you know, it, this this uh, this thing is crazy between Antonio Brown and that uh, and that cracker, Mike Mayock. You know what? You said it. I wasn't going to use the actual <laughs> word, but that but, but it's it's out there. I, I said racist comment earlier, but thanks, Mo, for for uh, just uh, pulling the bandaid off and allowing us to uh, say what is, was really said. And and I heard there was a lot of different things. I heard that there was they almost came to fit. Here's the thing. I mean, I know that he's a diva. Let's just say that he does great on the field and he performs and he he makes all this money. But I'm going to tell you what, in the real world, there's no way I could go into my boss's office and pick a fight like he picked. Uh, There's just no way that I could keep my job. And I don't know how anybody expects, which is from from a, a high level thing, if you're a fan of a team and you're a fan of the Raiders, you you, got to just be saying, really? Come on, the helmet, this. And and let's talk about this, Ed, a little bit. We were talking about this with our caller from uh, Pittsburgh earlier and with Rick uh, uh, about the CTE thing. There's no way to test. And I I certainly believe that's real, but there's no way to test it when someone's living. But I think there's something gone wrong mentally with Antonio Brown. I don't know if it's CTE. I don't know if it's depression, but it just seems like – Something's not clicking upstairs. Uh, Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in this world. And I think to say it's CTE is way, you know, way premature. Um, 
you know, Chris Long, who retired, put out a great tweet last night. He said he doesn't really like the trend that assuming every player who acts erratically is exhibiting symptoms of CTE. It discounts the numerous mental health issues that exist in society at large, and we're not qualified. Yes, CTE is real, uh, but we just let those three letters fly pretty liberally. And you know what? I have to agree with that. I mean, we don't know if it's CTE or if there's something, you know, more to it than that. Um, and, and I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, but, you know, I, the question now to me is what, what's going to become of Brown? Is he going to, you know, is somebody going to take a chance on him? You know, I know Rick or uh, Mo threw a couple teams out there. And I, I just, I think you really have to have the culture inside your locker room to absorb this kind of a cancer that Antonio Brown is. And I'm not sure there are many locker rooms that are out there that can do that. And, uh, other than maybe New England, because they do have that history. But Oakland had a history of kind of recycling some, you know, some bad guys, but it didn't work there. So, uh, you know, I, again, I'm wondering if he's going to play at all this year. Well, you know, for the longest time, and, and, and we were joking around on this show for a long time, we, we, we was on the John Gruden watch, and I would say, and John Gruden goes here, John Gruden goes here. We were making jokes about it. But now John Gruden's kind of got egg on his face. He's got more than just Antonio Brown. He's had issues, and he's been trying to put this together. And I know Hard Knocks uh, put him out there to be a showcase, but did Oakland make the right decision with Antonio Brown and with John Gruden? I mean, this just seems like a, a dumpster fire. Well, you know, you're asking the coach after, what was it, you know, 11 years to come back to the NFL, you know, whatever, however long it was. Things have changed dramatically since the last time John Gruden, John Gruden coached a football team. The other thing is is that John Gruden had, you know, become a personality to people as opposed to, uh, you know, people thinking of him as a coach. He'd become the Monday Night Football guy. He'd become the guy that Frank Caliendo impersonates. And to me, he'd become more of a character uh, than a football coach. So I think Part of that is hard to take him serious uh, in, in the hard knock stuff and as a coach because of that. But the other thing is, remember, football has changed a ton since he coached last. And, you know, I think you've seen other coaches that came back after a while struggle a little bit because the game is constantly evolving. And I don't know necessarily that football's passed him by, but you get a collection of guys out there that are younger and you get a collection of guys that are, you know, some devious guys. And let's be honest, the Oakland football team isn't great. And so at the end of the day, does Mike Mayock survive this as well, this this big misstep with Antonio Brown? Uh, you know, there's another guy that came from television uh, who we saw on the NFL Network and, you know, all, all the drafts. Does does he survive this debacle with Antonio Brown? It'll be interesting to see what, what Mark Davis does uh, with this Raiders football team. Well, I can tell you one thing. You can't go into your boss. You can't pick a fight. You can't post things on Instagram. You can't make a racist comment like Cracker toward him and, and expect – to survive that. He's not going to be with the Raiders. We know that. we got to move forward, and we're going to keep with you, uh, Mo, and then we'll go uh, just uh, kind of get through all of these games. Mo, I know you're, you do dual duty in what you do in the real world and covering the Bears and the Browns. The Bears were in action on Thursday night. Kind of a snooze fest, kind of a crap fest, if you ask me. I was talking to Ed about it earlier. He goes, well, that's football. People are going to watch it. It was a defensive game. Uh, but you only saw one touchdown. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Maybe that's what happens. That's, they say defenses win uh, Super Bowls. If that's the case, Packers are well on their way to Super Bowl 2019. Well, you know, they wanted to kick off the season with those two teams, the honor of 100 years of football. And this game was like a game 100 years ago because, man, it was slow, but, you know, both of those defenses played really well. Chicago's defense, regardless of losing, looked, uh, you know, pretty darn good. 
the Packers defense, I think uh, people were shocked uh, how good that they looked. Uh, you know, and after a day already, I'm so tired of the, of the Mitch Trubisky talk. If you remember correctly, he started slow last year as well and then and came on pretty good. He's going to have to make decisions a lot quicker. But, again, you're talking about, uh, you know, an offense for two teams that didn't play hardly at all, if any, in the, in the preseason. So a lot of these guys, it's the first actual real game action since last season. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, I'm not too concerned about Trubisky moving forward. Uh, it was nice to see the, their field goal kicker make a kick. And it was funny, they had that fourth and ten on, you know, what would have been like a 51 or 52-yard field goal, and the Bears, so there was no shot in hell. They were bringing him out to kick the football and put him in that situation. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how these teams do moving forward. You know, a big win for Green Bay. Obviously, in the NFL, all the uh, games matter, and they get a win. But this is a division rival, the, the uh, defending champs for that division at uh, on the road at Soldier Field. So big win for the Packers, and the Bears have to regroup and, and come back next week and try to get that offense going. All right, guys, let's, let's do the homer card before we get to some of these other games. Homer card, we'll start with you, Rick. Uh, the Lions are at the Cardinals. I tell you what, the Cardinals are a new rejuvenated team this year, and, and the Lions still have, in my opinion, have not shown themselves to be much of anything. But we'll see what happens. Uh, the Cardinals have a new stud uh, quarterback. Uh, what are your thoughts out there in the desert? Your Lions go out there. Do they get fed or do they, do they uh, walk away hungry? Well, there's always some type of corner out there the Lions just can't turn. So uh, I expect that this year, too. But this game against the Cardinals, anyway, I think the Cardinals it has the worst offensive line probably in NFL football history. And I think just based off that, uh, Kyler Murray is probably not going to have a good first game. I do think the Lions defense is good enough to to get a win against Arizona because that offensive line is so atrocious. And that the game the other night, the Thursday night game, the Packers-Bears was so awful, it gave Lions fans like me actually hope for the season because the Bears and Packers didn't look that good. So maybe there's hope for the Lions to, to, to get a win later in the season against one of these two teams. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Moving on with the home card tomorrow, the, uh, the Eagles welcome with open arms uh, the, the Redskins uh, who have a former Eagle, uh, Smallwood, there. And – I honestly think this is going to – and, you know, I I, mentioned, I texted you this earlier this week. Dan Patrick and other national media have picked uh, the Eagles and the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl with the Chiefs to win. We'll see what happens. But I tell you what, you guys got are going to be able to get off to a good start against the Redskins. What's going on there with the Eagles this week as you guys prep uh, for week one against the Washington Redskins? Well, I, I think the Eagles are the biggest favorite, you know, out of Vegas of any game this week. Uh, I think they're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. And, um, you know, the Eagles, it's pretty simple. You have to shut down the running game. You know, they have a pretty good or what looks to be a good one-two punch with Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis, who missed all of his rookie season with the torn ACL, uh, going to kind of come out with some kind of vengeance to show what the NFL missed. So, you know, you got to stop that one-two punch. I don't know how big a role Smallwood will have in the game. Um, you know, they also have Chris Thompson, a very good pass-catching running back out of the backfield. But, you know, their offensive line, that left side, you're starting Eric Flowers at left guard, who was a bust as a Giants pick, and you – uh, you have Donald Penn, who's 36 years old, was probably heading for retirement until the Redskins called because they needed somebody to take Trent Williams' place. So, you know, that left side of the line is very, very weak, can be exploited. Um, but, you know, you look at the Eagles' side of the ball, Wentz didn't play in the preseason. They have four defensive starters that didn't get any practice time, really, in the in training camp who are going to play. Fletcher Cox, Nigel Bradham, Ronald Darby, uh, and then I'm missing a fourth one there. But, 
Um, you know, there, there, there's a defense there that is going to be playing really for the first time since last year. So we'll see how they can hold up. But I just don't think the Redskins have enough weapons to, uh, you know, to make much of a damage. I think it could be kind of a slow starting game. Maybe the Eagles lead, you know, by 13 to seven or 17, seven at halftime. And then in the second half, maybe they open it up a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it's a good game to kind of build some confidence setting into what figures to be a bigger test quarterback wise. You know, they're going to play case Keenum this week, last time through. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, he got stomped as the Vikings quarterback in the NFC Championship game. But then after that, it gets a lot tougher with, uh, you know, Matt Ryan in Atlanta. And then Matt Stafford comes in with Detroit. And then uh, Aaron Rodgers at the end of the month in Green Bay. So this will be uh, hopefully a good game for the Eagles secondary to kind of build some confidence to head into that little bit of a gauntlet to, uh, to end the month. Well, I hope so, because in one of my fantasy leagues, I have Wentz and Mahomes as, as, uh, as uh, my quarterback combination. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Hey, Mo, this week, uh, something big happening here in Indiana and across the United States. We're seeing this happening. Uh, sportsbook betting is now legal. We love this. But, I, you know, maybe a lot of people aren't used to betting, and, and now they could just freely go in and bet. Uh, and I know that, that you uh, do a lot with Vegas, and you have radio stuff with Vegas and betting. Uh, just kind of help us understand how sportsbook betting works. Now that it's legal, we could just go in there and throw our money down and give us uh, some uh, good uh, pointers, if you will. Well, I mean, the first thing you want to do is is know what you're doing like anything. You know, like when I go uh, to a casino, I don't play any of the picture slot machines that I don't understand how I get paid. That's the first thing. Understand how you get paid and what you have to do to win. Uh, you know, with the live sports betting, you know, a lot of times you can bet the game live as it goes, so you can bet the first quarter, the second quarter, the first half, second half. The line will change on the game at halftime. So knowing what you're doing, it's the same as playing craps. If you don't know how to play craps, you probably shouldn't play because you don't know how you can win your money. So that would be the biggest thing. Before you go make your first bet, A, bet within the parameters you can afford to lose. Don't try to catch up as the day goes on. If you've lost early games, don't try to make it up at the end of the day because that never seems to work. But know what you're doing and how you're doing it. So read up on it before you go. That's the the best advice I can give. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit about our uh, Indianapolis Colts. This is my homer card here, Jacoby Percet, and we just uh, saw uh, a, a the backup signed brain fart. But either which way, New England guy as well. And I don't know why my brain just went dead on me because it's Saturday morning and I'm already out at the racetrack. Then they just find Hoyer. Brian, yeah, Brian Hoyer. Hoyer, thanks, Rick. Thanks, see, Rick is always there to, to never leave a man behind. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. Brian Hoyer, yeah, I don't leave know. a man the field. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where I, my mind was going with that, but but Mo and Ed, let's get your thoughts. Jacoby Brissett, Brian Hoyer. But I think Brian Hoyer was a is a good uh, matchup. And I tell you what, I was listening to some local interviews here, local radio with Frank Reich. Frank Reich said it's day one, minute one, when we brought in Brian Hoyer. He's like, I knew this was the right decision for J- Jacoby Brissett. And a lot of people maybe not didn't like it, but I think it is a good – let's face it. He was the best backup quarterback that was available. Mo, uh, the Colts go to the Chargers. I honestly think that we got 10 wins in us. I don't know if we can beat uh, the, the Phillip Rivers on the road in the first game of the season. I'm not overly concerned about that, but I think the statement it would make if – there's a way they can figure out a way to win tomorrow in Los Angeles. Well, I mean, you know, one thing that helps the Colts is Derwin James is not playing for the Chargers. But the, the concern I have going back and watching Jacoby Brissett's games from 
the year he started for Andrew Luck was his his inaccuracy downfield. Uh, you know, receivers uh, T.Y. Hilton and a couple of the other guys had to really adjust for his deep ball. It was a very wobbly ball back then. Uh, it was very inaccurate. Uh, so that's the part of his game that concerns me. His short game, I don't think is a problem. He's obviously got moves to where he can take off running if he needs to. He's behind a good line. Uh, so, you know, my worry for Jacoby Brissett is his accuracy down the field. Uh, no Melvin Gordon, obviously, in this game. And, again, no Derwin James. I think the Colts can have a win in him uh, out in San Diego. It's always hard, though, to open up and, and go to an opposite coast. So uh, that could be something tough for the Colts, a later start. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's Jacoby Brissett's show now. He got paid. Hopefully he'll uh, have the confidence to uh, you know really go out and prove himself. But again, you gotta you gotta wonder when things change like that. This uh, you know right before the season starts, what problems that brings with it. But I think the Colts can eat this one out probably 24-21. I think it was a great contract to uh, swap, if you will. They tore up one contract and and made a, another one for Jacoby Brissett. Uh, real quickly, Ed, we got to move on because we're running out of time here because Diva Antonio Brown uh, gobbled up all of our time. Uh, but real quickly, what are your thoughts about the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, and Brian Hoyer? Well, you hope you don't see Brian Hoyer the whole season. You hope Brissett is able to stay right. healthy and get better, uh, you know, as the season unfolds. But I, I think it's a tough opener for the Colts. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they come out emotionally, you know, after dealing with the retirement of uh, Andrew Luck. I think Frank Reich will have them. Uh, you know, emotionally ready, but still, it'll still be interesting. A little bit of a punch in the stomach there a week before the season starts or, or two weeks before the season starts. So, um, you know, that'll be interesting to see. And like Mo said, going across the coast there to play uh, an opener in uh, in Los Angeles, you know, the Chargers were one of my dark horse picks at the start of the preseason to make it to the Super Bowl. But after losing Derwin James and, you know, this uh, prolonged holdout of Melvin Gordon yeah. uh, is going to make it a little bit tougher for him. But I still think, you know, I think the, the Chargers are a touchdown favorite in this game. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't think the Colts uh, will win this game. I think if the opener will go to the Chargers. But uh, that doesn't mean the Colts can't rebound and have a good season and maybe get, you know, get the nine wins or, or ten wins. If Brissett, like Mo said, if he can develop and learn how to find that accuracy downfield, that would go a long way to help help make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And in lieu of everything that happened with Andrew Luck, I think just getting a win will make statements, uh, will send a clear statement to fans. And uh, I know here in Indianapolis, we love Frank Reich, and he's just an awesome coach. And I just think that that, that if anybody can lead, rally the troops, it's Frank Reich, and we'll see what happens. Week one is underway. We've got the Chiefs uh, against the Jaguars, Ed. We've got the Falcons, the Vikings, the Titans, and the Browns. Uh, just overall, give us a a, a synopsis, if you will, of week one. And next week, guys, we'll break the, down these games a little bit more because I am done talking about Antonio Brown. Go ahead, Ed. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, you know, you mentioned the Browns and, uh, you know, the Titans, that's a, that's a tough opener for Cleveland. They're at home, but, you know, I like the Titans to win the AFC South. And I know you kind of hate to hear that, but I think the Titans uh, are, are going to win that division this year. And, um, so that'll be a good match for the, for the Browns. We'll see if all this hype, if they live up to all this hype, um, and are able to come out with a win against a very good Titans team. And then, uh, the Jaguars, Nick Foles, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do against Andy Reid's team. You know, Reid kind of resurrected Foles' career when Foles thought he was going to retire. Um, Andy talked him out of it. Um, but you know, that offensive line in Jacksonville is just a, a disaster. So you hope that Foles can kind of stay upright. He had an oblique injury. He was on the injury report earlier in the week with an oblique injury. That's kind of one of the question marks about Foles is his health history. You know, he hasn't 
uh, had a whole lot of luck making it through seasons, just like a lot of quarterbacks in this league. And now you put him behind a very leaky offensive line, uh, and, and that's going to spell trouble, I think, the Chiefs win that game. But th- those are two that you just mentioned that, that stick out to me. Mo, uh, any final words of wisdom on week one? Well, you know, Browns fans are bursting at the seams to see this uh, offense and this team play. So they're going to uh, they're going to get it tomorrow uh, at home against the Titans. And, uh, you know, hopefully for Browns fans, at least week one it goes good because I'll tell you, Browns fans will lose their mind. This team loses week one at home. Guys, before we go, I, I, I got I to go back to Ed. And, Ed, you promised you gave your word. So we're going to have yes, to have yes, you yes. – we're going to have to tell, ask you to keep your word what big announcement do you have for us? Yeah, I haven't mentioned it on Twitter, but I'm going to be uh, – my Eagles work will appear on SI.com, Sports Illustrated. So I'm kind of moving over to uh, SI.com. Wow, very nice. Um, Congrats. Yeah. All right, yeah, so buddy. My new, the, yeah, yeah, so the domain that I'm, I'm writing under now is going to change to SI.com slash NFL slash Eagles. That's where all my work will be uh, from now on. So, you know, a lot more eyeballs, a lot more advertising revenue. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a good absolutely. And, you know <laughs> – Thank you uh, for uh, sharing it with us before you shared it on with Twitter. So there yeah. you go, guys. Ed Kratz and his breaking news. Guys, I got I to gotta do this just for Ed. Hold on. Hold on here. Just for Ed. I should have had this queued up. <laughs> Congratulations, Ed. We, we, we appreciate yeah, you being on and being a part of our show. You really – uh, take our game to the next level, and we we wish you the best of luck, and we can't wait to uh, uh, promote you and that. When you get it out there on Twitter, myself, Rick, and Mo, we'll get it out there too. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. I really do. All right, you you have yourself that, a good weekend. That blue folks. check mark on Twitter is coming, man. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming very soon. <laughs> All right, buddy. You sure. Yeah. 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 All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ed. Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, we got to get you a blue check, Mark. How do we do it? Oh, you know, I know. I don't care. Mo, Mo, Mo's uh, doing his Instagram model photos, right? Correct. <laughs> Mo, we, Correct. We, right. We appreciate you joining us as well. You, you also are a very important part of our our show. So, uh, where can people find your work and masterpieces? On Twitter at Mo Radio Show, and I will talk to you, Crackers, next week. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll I like see it. You soon. <laughs> Love it. Mo for the BS Sports Show. Love it. Rick Riggin, man. How about that for Ed? Let's give him. Let's give him another round of applause. That's great. Hey, knock on wood. You're with me. We're there. Let's <laughs> let's get us let's get us both a blue check mark because that's so important, right? Rick, thanks for joining us and talking to college football uh, with us. Where can people find your work in Masterpieces? Are you are you blogging anywhere? What's going on? No, not at all. It's just uh, my Twitter <laughs> hot take, that Rick and underscore Rick. I'm, I'm pretty lazy anymore these days. I just I show up on Twitter. I show up on the balance. That's my work in Masterpieces. The, the, the live pontoon boat feed, though, is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I should do a I should do a live show from the boat on the river. <laughs> Why the weather's still out. All right, sir. Have yourself a good weekend. Yep, you too, buddy. See ya. Thanks. Rick Riggin, official college football contributor. Honestly, congrats to Ed Kratz, who's now going to be part of the SI, which if you guys don't know what that means, this means Sports Illustrated. So fantastic job for him. 
there. And thank you, Ed, for bringing that to us before you brought it to Twitter. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, joined us in talking IndyCar as we um, break down the uh, uh, getting ready for Laguna. And this weekend, and I'm going to be headed to the track. Right after the show, but this weekend uh, is uh, Brickyard. Thank you, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast for jumping in and helping us talk about that and, and talking about the dirt track racing and then college football with Rick Riggin, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles NSI.com, as we found out today, and uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Love doing this, guys. Make sure you follow us on the bounce. We're running a little bit over time. I'm headed down to the track. Remember, guys, don't drink and drive. It ain't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.